Sporting dog adventures run. That boy, run. was awesome. Everything you Good need boy. is here. here under the sun. Everything you need is here under the sun. The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Saki Acres Retrievers. Whether you're looking for a black, yellow, or chocolate Labrador Retriever puppy, please check out our website for more information at www.sakiacres.com. You can also email Jeff at sportingdogtv at gmail.com or call 262-215-9683. And remember, everyone deserves a Soggy Dog. It's Jeff Fuller from the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast, and I need a little help. Please stop what you're doing and give us a five-star rating. Follow us on the platform you're on. Give us a thumbs up. And above all, share our podcast with your friends and family. Our podcast will grow even more, and we can get more people involved in the sport we love with dogs in the field. Hey, welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. I'm here with good friend Brad Heidel. Brad works for Delta Waterfowl, and I wanted to have him on so we could talk about the ability to increase our duck production in our area and on our properties. Brad, give me your knowledge. Hey, hey good afternoon, Jeff. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to increase uh, duck production, and, you know, we can maybe step back a little ways and, and look at, um, you know, some things that we've been taught in, in for, for a very long, 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 long time. And, and that is, um, it, it, it's strictly based on habitat, which, which couldn't be further from the truth. You know, habitat is, is, is extremely important. Don't get me wrong. We need, habitat. We, need to have, we need to have nesting cover on the ground. We need to have wetlands on the ground. But simply having habitat will not keep up with the number of ducks that we need. So Really? That's just, you're right. That is contrary to what we've been taught. It is. It is. So, so if you look at it, you know, good habitat um, right now is going to typically produce maybe 8 to 10% next nest success in a yearly basis. And we actually need 15% nest success to actually just maintain a population for the fall flight. So now when you're talking about success, you're saying that 90% of ducks that lay a clutch of eggs, they lose them in a normal yes. area? Yes, easily. What do lose them to? Primarily predators. You know, there's, a, there's an unnatural increased amount of predators in the prairie pothole region currently. And that's because a lot of different reasons, that, that is a lot of different reasons because of that. So um, raccoons were never in the prairie pothole region. Mm -hmm. You can talk to farmers and ranchers, uh, whether it be in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, North Dakota, and, and they hadn't seen raccoons in our lifetime in the prairie pothole region. And now raccoons are number one predator of nests for whether it's ducks, pheasants, any nest, ground nesting birds, they're getting hit by raccoons, skunks, foxes really hard. Hmm. And that, that hadn't been there in the past. So you could have a large scale um, <clears throat> piece of habitat and you could produce that 15% plus amount of ducks or, or geese or pheasants on that property in the past, not any longer with the number of predators that we have out there. 
Migrating trash pandas. Who knew? Yeah, you throw in the uh, the possums and such. They come up the river system, you know, and uh, and and there's truth to that. Um, they do come up the river systems, and then they spread out from there. I read but, an interesting meme the other day. It was about possums. How everyone talks about all the ticks they eat, and how possums are great because they eat this many ticks in their life, and blah blah blah. And then, and in the meme, it said. Possum also eat this many clutches of turkey eggs. And turkeys eat ticks too. And it was actually a net less, you had more ticks in, in theory, according to this meme. And it was on the internet, so it had to be true. It had because to be true. we're losing that many birds to the possum as opposed to uh, just them killing ticks. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, <clears throat> you look at another uh, thing. Um the, the prairie pothole region it really is where the vast majority of the ducks are produced for North America. Um, that was, um, you know, little, little, little spots of family farms, right? Just like mm -hmm. here in Wisconsin, they're little family farms all dotted the landscape up there. Well, as, as the economy grew and, and agriculture got larger, um, a lot of those family farms got eaten up. And so, you know, you've traveled around North Dakota enough, you'll see abandoned home sites all over the landscape out there. Sure. They're filled with raccoons, filled with raccoons. Never thought and, of that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, those, those are just perfect, perfect areas for, for raccoons to live and breed. And, and a lot of those typically are around wetlands, you know, a nice home site overlooking a wetland. Now they've got a nice little condo there for raccoons. So how do we fix this? <coughs> how do we fix it? <clears throat> well, um, here at Delta Waterfall, we've been uh, doing 25 years of research on, on how to increase duck production. <coughs> Sorry. And, and what do we want to do? We want to put more ducks over decoys. As an organization, that is what we, that is our number one goal is putting ducks over decoys. So what can we do? Two things that we've proven to be very effective. One is predator management and one is hen house structures. So a hen house structure is going to be similar to a wood duck box. Okay. So, you know, we've seen the success that wood duck boxes have been, you know, all across, you know, North America, as far as the ability to increase wood duck numbers. You, you saw, you saw last year, how many wood ducks did we have here in Wisconsin? Yeah, was Oodles of them. You know, and then, um, so we have a, we have a, 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 it's almost a tubular type structure, nesting structure um, <clears throat> that you can, that we put out in wetlands and it actually increases um, the nest success almost to a hundred percent. So 4% nest success for um, hen houses that are put over, over wetlands mm -hmm. is less than 10%. That's pretty significant. Mm -hmm. And you'll still, but you'll also get almost darn near 100% survival rate of that hen as well, who's sitting on that desk protecting those necks. They're protecting. Sure. Mm -hmm. So are these, is this something where people are buying these or are they being shown at, at, at your banquets and so that people understand I guess, how are you getting your word out on this uh, so that people do understand this? Because to me, yeah, it's habitat. If I've got unbroken cover, the birds are going to make it and they're going to be fine because you aren't thinking of, of the predation. 
Mm -hmm. Yep. So Delta waterfowl, we, we tout hen houses, these nesting structures all the time. So we have roughly a little over 100,000 hen houses out on the landscape today. And, and what that means is we've manufactured these hen houses, we've installed them on property, mm -hmm. sometimes public, sometimes private, wherever we have the permission to do so. Excuse me. And then the, it's real easy to, to manufacture and put them out, mm -hmm. but they have maintained on a yearly basis. So every year we contract people to go out and maintain these hen houses, which they have to restuff them with grass. And at that same point in time, they also have a little app on their phone that directly relays information back to the organization that shows A, A, this house was still in place, B, it was maintained this year, and was there a nest in there from the year before? Mm -hmm. So then to really determine how many of these nesting structures get used, and it's a vast majority of them actually get used. It's pretty neat. And then year to year to year, we can see how that, you know, progresses. So we, <coughs> we, we plan on uh, the life cycle of a hen house to be about 10 years. So is this something as you've, you've hunted at my different properties, is this something that at my properties that I own, that I would see an appreciable growth in the amount of birds I could hunt early season if I put stuff like this up? Or is this more of a macro scale where it's not going to help per se one property, but it's going to help the overall numbers in the in North America, especially when you look at somewhere like Wisconsin? More of a macro scale. I mean, you'll you'll see some, obviously you'll see a, a fall flight increase on your properties. Um, will it be dramatic? Will it be something you'll be able to say, oh my gosh, you know, I've got another 25 birds on my property this year? Probably not. Mm -hmm. um, more on, on a large scale basis where you know it's going to have an effect on the overall fall flight in general so i'd be helping the people in illinois with my houses i need to get the people in northern wisconsin to put these up so that it helps my hunt no no not necessarily you know that first that first year or, or that you know those first few weeks you're still hunting local birds and a lot sure. of those local birds could be birds that you raised on your property absolutely <clears throat> We'll have to get some and try them at my place. That'd be kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting thing to look at. You should. There's a there's a gentleman that, um, that that I work with from time to time when I'm not able to supply them um, directly from the organization. Um, it's called Tell Work Wood Tell Woodworking. It's T E L Woodworking mm -hmm. or Tell Conservation, and they're 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 out of Illinois. And mm -hmm. uh, I actually picked up five uh, structures from them, five hen houses from Tim at Tell just last week and um, we took them up to just south of Minneapolis uh, two days ago and, and put them in on a guy's property and uh, he's, he's pretty excited about it. Is this something that you could look at a plan online and build your own? Is it something that chapters could do in a local area to, to build their own and like put them out as a project? Um, I guess, is that an option? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we have, we have plans uh, for folks, you can go right to the Delta Waterfall website, which is deltawaterfall.org, and you can you can learn more more about hen houses. And then we do also do have instructions on there as to how you can manufacture your own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the wood duck boxes. I mean, uh, my goodness, there's a lot of organizations that are making wood duck boxes, and it's a great thing they can do with kids so that they can have them. I guess learn about ducks more than just it's not about shooting them, but about putting stuff out and 
you see the wood duck box being this big push, it would, it would kind of be cool if you saw the same level of, of these other uh, mallard type hen houses put out too. Yeah, it would be, um, there's a little bit more to them than, <clears throat> than a, excuse me, than a, <clears throat> than a wood duck box. Um, simply there's some welding involved, which, you know, kind of makes it a little bit more difficult. Mm -hmm. Just cutting up some wood and throwing some screws in it, but you can do it. I'll have to get a welder then. Start production. Yeah. Put like a hundred of them on each property. So that early season, we have just oodles of birds. I would suspect so. We <laughs> but either way, um, you can get it done. Um, it, works, it works really well. We put up 10 of them on our property um, two years ago, and I would say 40% 40, 40 of them last year were not used, which means 60% were. That's your property at your, your personal property? Yes. Yep. Oh, that's kind of cool. So what yeah. is, if you were going to buy one of these, what would they cost? Um, I've seen, typically they're about 90 bucks a piece. Okay. Which isn't bad, but um, it's the shipping that kills you on them, just like anything else these days. Shipping is expensive. So. Cool. So what would be some other stuff? So we're looking at nesting. Obviously, property management plays into, in, into part of it as well. What are some other things to do? We've got our nesting. Uh, hen houses up. We've got wood duck boxes out. What would be something else I could do to my properties that would really accentuate them and make them better? Well, you know, there's there's really three ways to increase nest success, and that's one is to just hide the nests in giant, large, continuous tracts of land, whether it's easements or purchasing land, etc. That's not very easy for the average guy to do whatsoever. <clears throat> that's one way to increase nest success. Mm -hmm. Second would be to make the nests in, uh, inaccessible to predators. So hence the wood duck boxes and the hen houses. You know, that's something that we can do on a local level and, and, and have success with it and increase nest success. The second would be to, you know, remove those unnaturally high numbers of predators on your property. That's mm -hmm. ravens, crows, skunks, fox. Those are going to be your number one predators of ground nesting birds. Sure. All right. So, <clears throat> so trapping, um, we we do trapping on a large scale basis. We hire to go out and remove predators from large tracts of land, and and we and we and we specifically look at the best pieces of property that are the most productive on a consistent basis. And we go and get there and give those hens a fighting chance against these predators. And when we go into these places, we actually see nest success up to 60% in areas just from pulling out a number of predators. So another way that you can increase nest success on your own property mm -hmm. is flat out room some of those predators. Yeah, we have uh, a guy in uh, my one property where, where the house is, he, uh, he actually asked if he could trap Beaver. So his name is now Beaver Man. I know, real yes. weird, you know. So Beaver Man, he, he loves trapping and he really looks forward to it after season. And I think just in this year, in that one area uh, by our house in, that, in the southern part of our hunting land, he took out 
nine or 10 coyotes, like a dozen raccoon, and uh, I think a couple of beaver and a couple of otter. But he, the majority of what he trapped and had success with was, in fact, stuff that is that we're talking about now. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it's great to take out the coyotes as well. They are, they are a predator. But you also have to remember when you're looking at coyotes is um, in, in, in many cases, like where we're at here, you know, the coyote is, is top of the food chain. Mm-hmm. That coyote is also the number one dude who's out there taking out the red fox, the raccoons, the skunks. Sure. So um, <clears throat> it's kind of a, eh, right in there on the coyotes. Put a little Don't pressure get- on beaver, man, then you just stick with the rodents. It's just stick with those nasty raccoons in those in those possums. That'll be a big help. Yes. So, yep. what else do you guys have going on that you want to talk about at Delta Waterfowl before we uh, we're we're going to break and then I'm going to talk about our gun dog training program? You are going to stick around even if you didn't know it to talk about a uh, memorable hunt for the last part of the show. But what else are you doing to save the ducks? You know, um, we're still doing a lot in reference to habitat. Um, you know, we're proponent of putting more habitat on the ground. Um, you have to work with private landowners uh, in reference to habitat simply because 90% roughly of all the ducks hatched in the prairie pothole region are hatched on private grounds. So you have to figure out ways to work with farmers and ranchers to help them better understand the importance of, of some of those, those wetlands on those properties and in that grass on their properties as well. And so we continue to work with private and public uh, landowners to um, help them better understand how they can help duck production. And then um, we're also, you know, we have a Hunter 3 program, which is the R3 program, which is going to be, you know, the retention, reactivation, and recruitment of new hunters. Um, mm-hmm. Always um, we want to try and get as many of those folks out there. Um, and then, and lastly, I'd just like to throw out that, um, you know, we're having a, our Duck Hunters Expo this summer. Duck Fest? Uh, not Duck Fest, Duck Hunters Expo, man. Uh, <laughs> Arkansas, um, the duck hunting hotspot of the world. And uh, last weekend in July, and we encourage everyone to come down. We'd love to have you part of the celebration. And that's going to be a yearly thing? Yes, sir. Yep. Is that going to always be in Arkansas or is it going to kind of move around? Is it going to be in different flyways? What's the plan for the Duck Hunters Expo? The intent is for us to, to move this the event around and just highlight some of the, the key areas for waterfowl production and waterfowl hunting around the country. Um, at the same time, it's telling the Delta waterfowl story to some new folks. Now, as far as people, you guys are doing a lot of work in the prairie potholes. Is there anything short of obviously being a member of your, your different chapters that you could do in Wisconsin? Is there anything, are there any programs that you're doing in different states or is it more focusing on a macro? This is where the majority of our ducks come from. So it's where the majority of our work is. So I'm gonna go right back to what I talked to you about before. Our number one goal is to put more ducks over duck hunters decoys. Mm-hmm. And so they're constantly working to be as efficient as possible with the dollars that we have and the opportunities that we have to put those ducks over those decoys. And, and right now, um, we do the vast majority of our work in the prairie pothole region, the vast majority, not all of it, but a bunch of it, simply because that's where most of the ducks are made. Fair enough. If people wanted to find out more, where would be a good place for them to go? 
DeltaWaterfowl.org. All right. Thank you so much, Bradley. It was great having you on the show. Brad is a good friend. I actually duck hunt with Brad. I probably miss more than he does, but that's all right. When I used to have a TV show, it was great because I would edit it to make it look like I never missed, and he always did. Now it's just reality. We won't talk about my turkey hunt. I went with Brad last year where I maybe possibly missed one at 20 yards, and then the gun jammed on the second shot. Well, no, let's I talk about we it. I thought we were going to talk about one of our most memorable hunts. Oh, boy. That, I don't want to ruin it then. All right. So we're going to go, we're going to, go to the uh, training tip. And then Brad will be back with us after that point so we can talk about a memorable hunt. So stay tuned for the Gundog Training Tip Week 8 after this. And then we'll be back with Brad. All that more coming up after this. Welcome to Boucher and Janesville, where customer service is our number one priority. Our customers come back to us because of the experience that we provide for them. We're here to make sure that we find you the right car, one that fits your budget, and do so in a timely manner. When we say we ride with you every mile, it means we care about you and how you are treated. Estamos con personal que habla español en los departamentos de servicio y venta. Our certified technicians are here to help you with all your service needs. Visit us today at Boucher.com. At Boucher, we ride with you every mile. Dog kennels can be beautiful. That's the basis on which we built DCT Kennels. We give you the opportunity to have a beautiful kennel that blends seamlessly with your home decor while providing a safe and comfortable respite for your dog. Visit dctkennels.com to see all of our custom selections and start building your dream custom doggy crate denza. Hey, welcome back to the show. This is the training section of our show, which is our, our dog tip section. And today we are going to talk about week eight of the gun dog training program. So we have, in essence, gone from where we started with our dog that was raw, that had no obedience, no mouth control, was not worked with, with an e-collar. So now we've built that retrieve to the level that the dog is releasing on name. The dog is picking up what we want them to pick up. The dog is coming back into heel and seated. What I'm gonna do here in Wisconsin, because it is, oh gosh, we've got two inches of snow. It's still cold. The water in our ponds is not warm enough yet, but there are a couple areas that have, I would say water that's probably three to four inches deep. So it's, still a great thing to have water like that and work with water like that, which is called running water, because that is reality. That is what a lot of hunting area is like. So we are going to start working with the dogs in water this week, as well as land. So what I have is I'll have areas that have drier uh, grass, and then I'll have areas that are more cattail-ish uh, with, with, with a little bit of water and I'm gonna work with the dogs there. I've got one of my ponds that is holding about six inches of water in it right now. I'm gonna work with the dogs there and I'm gonna start out in shallow water. Why shallow water? Because again, when we're looking at this, you are looking at something that is, uh, hold on one second, something that is 
applicable to hunting where you're not going to have deep swimming water that dogs are working in. Most of the properties I have, the dogs are struggling and, and going through vegetation. They're going through heavy mud. So we can emulate that here on our property, but you still have that need for your upland hunting as well as your field hunting and waterfall hunting where the dogs are finding stuff in heavier grass type cover. We don't want to go to where if it was even, if it was green, we would find an area that didn't have tall grass. You don't want to go to an area that is just this big, tall and penetrable cover but we're gonna increase the degree of difficulty on our retrieves as well as adding that water element in. Now, when you're working with dogs, if you're going straight to a pond, you have to reinforce the hold command and if they drop it, correct them. That's not gonna be as hard when the dogs aren't swimming because the dogs aren't gonna to wanna to come out of a pond and shake. But if you do jump to where you're working with them in the water and you're going into a full pond, you wanna make sure that you are again, telling them hold, the entire time they're coming out. So the dog goes out, and I do this on, on, on land retrieves as well. Dog goes out, you release them on their name, they go on the retrieve. Once they have it in their mouth, it's hold, good dog. Hold, 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 repeating it over and over again. Why do we repeat commands? Again, we're repeating commands because we wanna make it 80 to 90% positive, 10% negative. We can only do that if we're repeating ourselves over and over. It also ensures that the dog understands this is what I'm supposed to do. They like it when I do this so that then if they do drop, you correct them with the collar, nick them with the collar and tell them fetch. And <coughs> you have that negative where <coughs> you're putting them in a position where they understand they have to hold because otherwise they will get corrected. Consistency, consistency, consistency. The other thing that I'm gonna do with the dogs this week I have an area that is dry land that goes through some of that running water that's probably maybe, you know, six inches to a foot deep. Toward the end of the week, once we get warmer, I'm going to have them go off a bank, through some water, back onto dry ground, into some cover, and then bring it back. It's called a land water land concept. These are concepts that dogs will see when they hunt, and it's why dogs struggle if you only work with them on open water. It doesn't mean that dogs that are worked with only in open water are not gonna be hunting dogs, but then you'll see them transition to hunting when they're gonna struggle because ducks generally aren't on a pond that is open and mowed all the way around. So give them the ability to go out and work. When they're working, again, don't talk. Keep your mouth shut. If the dog is out hunting, there's no reason to tell them to hunt it up. If they are struggling and they get too far off to the right or too far off to the left, you can walk out toward the item that they're supposed to find, which is your bumper or your bird that you've thrown at this point, and you can tell them to hunt it up and redirect them into that area. Try to take them so that the wind is at their advantage. So if you have, let's say, a crossing wind or a wind that goes uh, uh, to the right or left, work them over to that side of the item that you're finding. Even if you find a bird when you're hunting, have the dog come in and find it. Don't point it out to them like, hey, there it is, Dippy. Have them find it with their nose so that you keep that drive and that perseverance going in the dog. We're going to have our obedience now to a level where the dog has to listen. They have to be in that perfect obedience spot. They are gonna be corrected if they're not healing properly, whether you're walking when you're telling them heal or where they're coming in, you're telling them to heal and sit. They're going to stay, stay seated until you release them. 
and they are going to uh, be obedient and come to you when you call them. So with that thought process there, when you are looking at having your dog and releasing them, start varying the amount of time that you have prior to releasing them for a retrieve. So again, releasing them for their retrieve, when you're releasing them on their name, using the name, let's say Tank, you're saying Tank, and then he goes and he knows he can go and pick it up. Make sure that when they are seated there, you're telling them, sit, good dog, sit, good, sit, but don't release them right away. What will happen is you'll have an auto release where the dog understands that at the two count, you're telling them to go. So one, 1,000, two, 1,000, because that's how long it takes you to get your hand down, release them and tell them to, uh, to uh, go retrieve. Make them wait 10 seconds, make them wait 15 seconds. If they start to creep or they do release, correct them with the collar and make them come back, come back into heel. Again, this is the difference between having a dog that is set up for running competition and having a dog that is set for hunting. In hunting, you will have long periods of time before you release on a retrieve because of the fact that you have other birds working. So keep that in mind. I took out my male ace, qualified all age, master titled, finished titled, he passed the grand, uh, and I got him back for a hunt, and I had to correct him four different times because he did not want to sit there. Those birds were out there 20 yards in front of him, He's looking at him. He's going, oh my gosh, I got to go retrieve that. The problem being, we had other birds working. We took other birds and he actually had a few times where he busted other birds out where they were working. He broke, went out to do a retrieve and that cost us some birds. So use your hunting with that where you're varying your release times. You're forcing your obedience strictly at this point now. And when they are out working, you're just letting them work. Let them hunt let them do their thing. They are bred to do this. And if you are constantly helping them, telling them hunt it up or taking them to where the bird is, you're going to have a self-fulfilling prophecy where that dog is then going to rely on you. And they do something called popping, which is if they can't find something, they turn around and look at you and say, help me out boss. So this is week eight. We are now two months in. It's a three month process. We're starting to do our field work. It's cool because now we're teaching concepts. Once you get into the conceptual nature of your training, you're going to be far more successful in, and, and it's going to be far more fun. The dog's having fun. You're having fun. This is the point that most people think you start right away and you don't. We build that retrieve. We build that dog. We have that dog under control. But now is when the fun time comes and we start to work with them in the field and teach them different concepts for hunting. So I hope that helps. Again, next we're going to be back with Brad Heidel from Delta Waterfowl and we're going to talk a little more about a favorite hunt he had. And we are going to also talk about some other events that Delta Waterfowl has coming up. All that more coming up after this. The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. We all know that unexpected accidents can happen. That's why I partner with Trupanion's breeder support program to send all my puppy buyers home from Soggy Acres with an offer for Trupanion coverage. Learn more about Trupanion and sign up for their breeder support program by visiting trupanion.com breeder. Be sure to tell them that Sporting Dog Adventures sent you. 
If you love the shooting sports like I do, you need to check out our friends at Mac Outdoors. They have fantastic products, whether you're looking at shot shell or metallic reloading, or you want to get yourself a clay thrower so you can practice up for the season. For more information, check out their website at MacOutdoors.com. Hey, welcome back to the show. Brad, we need to talk yes. about a memorable hunt. What do you want to talk about? You know, I thought about this long and hard. And uh, a memorable hunt that comes back to me, uh, really not even a hunt of my own, which is cool. So it was it was many moons ago, and and I really, um, it really made me understand the importance of a of a good hunting retriever, um, and and what dogs do to conserve wildlife. Mm -hmm. and, and and I'm not placating you here because this is a real story. It's no, I, I I'm I'm you have me engulfed. So, don't, so don't take it as I'm not listening. This was many, many moons ago. Um, my first dog that I got. And uh, um, my brothers uh, came up to hunt. And this was just before me getting married. And so they went out and uh, we hunted one day and had a great hunt. And then, uh, then I had to go off and get married. And, and they got to play a little bit more <clears throat> before, the, uh, before the ceremony. And they came back to me and they said, well, we had a really good day, um, but we lost seven Drake mallards. I'm like, what? I'm like, where was the dog? Well, we decided not to bring it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why did you do that? I don't know. We just didn't feel like it. So we go, they lost seven Drake mallards, right? Mm -hmm. Initially cripples, dead birds. I went out there the following day. So not hunting at all. Mm -hmm. That dog was able to find those seven ducks. Pretty cool stuff. It just really drove home the importance of having a really good dog in the blind. Not only just for, for the companionship and everything else, but it really does save waterfowl. And, and you have really good dogs. Yes. Where do you get your dogs from, Brad? I get them from soggy acres. They're soggy dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. Now, I, it's funny because we talk about the importance of a retriever. We talk about the importance of a good dog. And there are times when people will feel it's too cold for their dog to go out to get a duck and they'll go by themselves. And I watched one of those times when I was hunting during a, a late November hunt where it was uh, at, my, at my property where we handled you and you were the dog that was going out to get the birds that were on the ice, which was, which was funny because we were actually giving you whistles and, and trying to give you directional casts and all sorts of fun stuff. Absolutely. I take direction well. You did. You did. You, you performed. You didn't put it in your mouth and hold like, like we had hoped, but you, you did bring it back from hand to hand, I guess, would be the way to look at it. Exactly. Exactly. So... But uh, yeah, the other the other thing I was I was referencing that Brad didn't bring up is we were turkey hunting last year and uh, I maybe missed a tom at ten yards or now it's probably twenty yards shot right over him and Brad is a a comedic figure so the entire time after that I shot another tom about an hour later but the entire time until that second bird came out I got to hear about oh I'm cold oh my feet are really cold right now. 
boy, breakfast would be great. And when that second bird came out, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. I did not shoot for the head. I shot for the body because I thought there's no way in hell I'm going to listen to Brad give me crap about missing a second bird. I don't know how I missed the first one. Well, I do. I shot right over the top of him. But I made sure that that second bird did not leave. Yeah. That, that's a good thing because if that would have happened, we'd have been going for breakfast. So, oh, yeah. It, it, well, the time it was Tebow time. We were getting to the point where you had to leave to go uh, do a probably a Zoom meeting at the time. And uh, it, it was about to get cut short. And uh, at least I didn't miss. We were successful and it was a fun hunt. Always is. Always is. So, Brad Heidel from Delta Waterfowl. Brad, one more time on the website, please. You bet. Uh, DeltaWaterfowl.org. And I uh, hope to see all of you at the Duck Hunters Expo in Little Rock, end of July, July 29, 30, and 31. Check it out. It should be a fun show. I am going to try to make it down. I don't think I will this year, maybe next year. But if you want to find a great organization and help a great guy named Brad Heidel, check out Delta Waterfowl. I want to thank Brad for being on the show. Thank you for listening and being a part of our show today. We, uh, we realize there's a lot of options out there. We love the fact that our show is growing at the rapid pace we are. We want to have you listen next week. we got another great show coming up. And again, thank you. Have a great week, everyone, and God bless. Sporty.